0: Well, she's the best Christian I know. Let's put it that way. For those of you who don't don't know my wife, what a champion mom. She has uh, beat cancer twice. And she has um, endured a a few chronic illnesses that really, really make it hard on her. And uh, fatigue is the side effect of two medications that she's on temporarily for another couple of years. But both of the side effects are fatigue. And then she is mothering five teenagers and a 20-year-old. That called also the side effect of that is also fatigue. <laughs> she also just got her Master's of Public Health. So she is... So going, and so she'll be walking this, this, uh, this month... Um, and uh, the side effect of getting an MPH is also fatigue. fatigue. She also is a pastor's wife. The side effect of that is, fatigue. and she's married to me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even have to set that one up for you, did I? And yet she will not stop because she wants, I like her phrase, you know, if, be the change that you want to see. And she lives that. She makes no excuses. And she raised the bar so high on the rest of us, you know, we just would rather really live in a different household. Because you just can't, you just can't make excuses in our house because then there's hope. But she's also got a deep, deep mercy motive. When we first met, when we got married, I did not know that Jesus, she's going to walk up there because she knows that I'm going to just go ahead and talk. <laughs> all through her a point in time. You can come on up here. You can, you can stand right here. Would you like to finish? Yeah, the last thing I want to say is this. I'm going to turn you on here. I mean, your microphone. Her microphone. Talk. <laughs>
1: testing, testing, testing. Hang
0: on. Am I on yet? I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. Hang on. Hang on, there. There you go. Sorry. Testing. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, she has been turned on. All right. Thank you. I want to say this last thing. Um, hope has the deepest well of compassion for the suffering that I've ever known. Uh, I did not know the Lord had appeared to her before we got married for her to adopt two special needs children. I didn't even know about adoption at all. It was on her heart. After we got married, I started seeing these adoption pamphlets being later, you know, left around the house. I'm like, well, what are these? And she moved me all the way from just the concept of adoption all the way to adopting two special needs children who have just been such a joy to our family. And it's out of this well of compassion uh, that she brings her message today. So go get them.
1: Mm -hmm. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. I want to say a big thanks to all the moms who are back there in the children's ministry on Mother's Day serving. I know that right now. Let's see back there. We've got Janine. We've got Jeanette. We've got Daryl Lee. We've got Shauna. We've got Brian Hicks, our dad-to-be. But if you see, if I've missed anybody, I'm sorry. But if you see a mom in a purple shirt today, thank them for serving on Mother's Day so that that we could be in here and, and hear the word. Um, I also want to say publicly, as he mentioned, I'm graduating on Friday.
0: Yay!
1: <laughs> And I want to say to my mom, who's sitting right back there, uh, and everyone here needs to know there's really no way I could have gone back to school and gotten my undergrad and my graduate degree without her uh, being here to help. So thank you, Mom. So um, before I start, I want to tell a little story. It's kind of a, a touching story from my, from my, the, chronicles of motherhood for me that that uh, and if you've heard this story I know that a few of you have heard this story and you have to just sit there and endure it for a minute but um, as moms you know we really get joy out of watching our kids grow and the milestones that they reach and um, you know the accomplishments that they make and with my um, you know with with all of my kids very very special uh, something that I love to see but Especially when you have kids that are not typical, I guess the correct, the politically correct word now is non typically abled children. When they make milestones, you know, it's, it's especially exciting. Um, and so when we adopted Samuel, he was very, very, very delayed. I won't go into the whole story, but he had been so severely neglected that honestly, the specialist told us later, we thought you guys were nuts when we brought him to the United States, because he was completely internalized didn't make eye contact because no one made eye contact with him, 16 months old, uh, never had solid food, was on two bottles a day, weighed about nine pounds. Um, So it was just a severe sensory deprivation. Technically, he's on the spectrum, but it's not a classic spectrum. It's because of the early sensory deprivation. So all of his milestones were delayed. And, and, and we honestly didn't know what to expect. Some of the specialists said, well, you know, I wouldn't count on this or I wouldn't count on that. The eye doctor said, you know, I think he's going to stay blind in that eye. I don't, I think it's, we're outside of the window of really kicking that in. And so everything that we got, we were glad about. You know, they said, he may never speak. You know, so anything that happened, we were so excited. So um, I remember potty training with him was quite the feat, And I don't know if any of you have a child on the spectrum or know a child on the spectrum. It's always challenging, but for him, it was especially challenging. So he was like five or six years old at this point, still not really talking well, maybe saying words, broken sentences, and you couldn't really communicate, wasn't, you know, you couldn't say a normal sentence and expect him to get exactly what you're saying, so it took lots of repetition. So we're teaching him how to go potty, and he's still in a pull-up, so He is, um, uh, you know, it would be like uh, several steps. First, it was just being able to go TT on the potty. Yay! Right? We're so excited. And then going poo-poo on the potty took a lot longer. A lot longer, right? So you just had to endure lots of accidents and lots of time to get this, this program going. Well, along with this, on a little side note... Um, when you're potty training, and I don't know if any of you are on septic, but you never, never put wipes down the toilet, right? Or you're going to end up calling a plumber out and paying about $1,000 to get your plumbing routed, right? So included in all of this had to be Samuel. Uh, we go poo-poo on the potty, but we don't put wipes in the toilet ever, right? Over and over. And we learned this after calling the plumber out and paying $1,000 to Fix the plumbing. So this is every day. He would be like, I go poo-poo on the potty, mommy, yay! But you'd have to run in there and make sure he didn't do anything bad after that. So the day came where he comes in, and this was a huge milestone. This was the first time this had ever happened. Mommy, I poop on the potty. Yay! We're all-I mean, you really, we really positive reinforcement, jumping up and down, yay! And I didn't put the wipes in the toilet. Yay! We're so excited. Okay. The next day. At this point in time, I am at Palomar College taking anatomy physiology. And this morning, I have a lab exam at 7 a.m. Now, I don't know if you guys know, when you have a lab exam in anatomy and physiology, the professor lines up. We had cadavers in there that were all marked you had, like, actual specimens on the table, and you go from station to station, and you cannot be late. If you're late, too bad, so sad, you get marked off for whatever you don't finish. So, um, so I couldn't be late. So my little routine was to not wake up John because it's 5 a.m. when I get up. I keep all the lights off. I basically go to the bathroom, run out, throw my clothes on, and get out the door. So I go, I get up, I creep into the bathroom. I'm going to the bathroom. I do my little routine where I grab a facial wipe and I wipe my face and then I'm getting ready to go. And then the meaning of the word, I didn't flush it down the toilet. It's in that moment I realized... He had stuck them all back in the wipe container. And I had just wiped my face. So, I decide John staying asleep is no longer really important. And I run into the bedroom and go, John, 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 oh my gosh, he's like, what, what, what? I said, I have poop all over my face. I had no time to take a shower. So I literally had to wash my face, try to get it up in my hairline. I look like a disaster. I feel like a disaster and run out the door. Why am I telling you this story? Number one, it is one of the most horrifying parenting stories I have. And on Mother's Day, I just thought it's apropos to tell the story. Number two no matter how disappointing of a Mother's Day you might have today, you can think back to this story and think, not as bad as that day that she had. <laughs> number three, my message can only go up from here. And number four, with a, um, what does love look like? Uh, love looks like I did not send him back to Vietnam that day <laughs> and say, take him back. No, he's only gone Amazing progress, and for those of you that don't know, (laughs) those of you that don't know, he was recently something, honestly, we never thought would happen. It's honestly miraculous. He was recently transitioned out of special ed into regular classroom. One of the most rewarding uh, parts of my motherhood ever, right there. Okay, so now that I've sufficiently made you guys go, oh my gosh, I can't believe she just told that story, I could see my family's faces as it, it, the realization of what I was about to say overcame them all across. They're looking at each other like, oh my gosh, she's telling that story. Okay, so um, today my message is, what does love look like, a voice for the voiceless? Um, so... It's not uncommon to be in any church in America and they bring out the Proverbs 31 passage from Mother's Day message. And either you're inspired or you feel like, oh God, I'm never, you know, I'm not buying and selling real estate. I'm not weaving purple cloth. I'm not, my husband's not sitting at the gate and praising me, you know, all these things. I'm not going to be going over that portion of the scripture, which is verse 10 through 31. That's the one that we all know. The one that maybe we don't know so well is the opening, which is verse 1 through 9. And what that is, basically, it talks about the words of King Lemuel's mother. Now, most Bible scholars seem to believe that King Lemuel was a pen name or another name for Solomon. And then, of course, Solomon's mother was Bathsheba. And in some translations, it says the inspired words of King Lemuel's mother, which of course we believe it's inspired that the Holy Spirit was really speaking through her to give him this advice, and then of course it's there in the word uh in perpetuity for us uh to gain from. So right now let's look at Proverbs thirty one verse uh one through seven. The sayings of King Lemuel contain this message which his mother taught him. O my son, O son of my womb, O son of my vows. Do not waste your strength on women, on those who ruin kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, to guzzle wine. I'll go back to that first verse. Basically what she's saying is, um, you know, it's really interesting if you go back and look through history of kings that had many mistresses or concubines and the way that many of them in uh, doing this in their life, it really altered history. I remember when I was in Beijing and studying the public health system there and we went to the the uh, palace there, and we heard about the concubine that ended up rising to power. It's really, there's a book and there's also a movie about it. It's very, very interesting. But she's basically saying, don't allow this to happen. You know, we see in the Bible, the reason that God told the Israelites, told his people don't have foreign wives, it's because they, influ- they would influence them to put up shrines and idols to these other gods. And suddenly you've got bloodline, you've got within the bloodline, you've got in the Israelites people who are worshiping other gods. And that's why they said, don't do that. So, um, next was uh, verse, I think we were on verse 3 or 4. I think 4. Uh, it is not for kings of Lamuel to guzzle wine. Rulers should not crave alcohol. For if they drink, they may forget the law and not give justice to the oppressed. So that's kind of a no-brainer as well. She's saying, don't stay intoxicated all the time. That's a message for us today, too. I don't think anyone would argue that there's not scriptural basis for being teetotalers like some uh, faith traditions like to say. But um, basically, she's saying, don't spend all your time drinking. You're not going to be able to rule well and with wisdom if you're drinking all the time. Alcohol is for the dying and wine for those in bitter distress. Let them drink to forget their poverty and remember their troubles no more. Okay, here's the, the section of, of the verse that I really wanna focus on. Here's the verse of the chapter that I wanna f- focus on today, the next two. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless, and see that they get justice. So clearly, he's a king, um, and she felt like it was important for him to remember this. Well, why is that? Well, think about even our political system today. You basically can't get elected if you don't have a lot of money, and a lot of money comes from donors, and donors don't give money without some level of expectation, right? And so sometimes in order to, um, it takes effort to take time uh, to think about ensuring justice for those without power, to step up and speak out for those who can't do anything back for you really. I mean, it's in our human nature, honestly, to want to hang out with people who are influential or maybe they can do something for us. It's a mutually beneficial relationship. And sometimes it takes effort to make time in our lives to do something for someone who can't do anything for us, right? And so she's saying to him as a king, this is something you really need to make sure that you're doing. And so that's what I'm going to talk about today is how, um, what this means for us as believers. Um, being a voice for the voiceless, speaking up for those who have no voice. You know, and I, I don't want to suppose that I have answers at all for what happened at the Chabad, for what happened uh, at the school in Colorado. Uh, I will say this, both times when I heard it, I couldn't help but think, what can I do in my own kids to increase compassion, to increase empathy and understanding, What we know is it just doesn't somehow happen by osmosis because we know with the Chabad shooter, he was raised in a church. By all accounts, his parents were good people. One of them, dad is a teacher here at this high school, one of the most beloved teachers who went out of his way to help students from all walks of life. This is a multicultural school here. And even having a kid in church didn't ensure that this person had understanding and didn't make him impervious whenever he was presented with this hateful... Uh, poisonous rhetoric that ended up getting into his heart and mind so for me I thought I need to be proactive we need to be proactive as parents as moms and if, if you're here today and you're not a mom or not a parent look at ourselves and think am I uh where am I on the scale of compassion and empathy for the voiceless for the powerless for the people that truly cannot do anything back for us so that's what I want to talk about today. So why? Well, I just explained why impartially. partially, um, but also because this is what Jesus would be doing. I mean, Jesus would not be hanging out at all our church meetings. He might come to some, but honestly... I mean, there was a time in my life when, honestly, most of my Christianity was... I was at a huge church in Louisiana, and we literally had, like, a city. And there's nothing wrong with that, but our Christianity was the music we listened to, the movies we didn't watch, the... It was all about the things we didn't do, the culture that made us who we were. And I had to go way out of my way to encounter someone who was not like me. That's the truth. And that's what my... And that's what... The church in America can be sometimes. So, I think it's important for us to be aware and to be proactive with it, especially as we're raising kids. Okay, so the voiceless. um, Let's see, can we go to the scripture, Matthew 25, 40? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So, Jesus is basically saying there, Helping the least of these, and that's who we're going to talk about today, is like helping me. And what does that look like? So, number one, orphans and widows. The scripture we're going to look at is James 1.27. You guys have heard me. This is probably my most favorite verse to say up here. Can we look at that verse? Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. And to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And so as you guys know, that's been one of my flagship verses. Um, I feel like, I I personally feel like if I'm not doing something for orphans and for the the truly, truly helpless, what am I doing, you know? Um, Bella and I were uh, in Seattle a couple of weeks ago. And the cab driver that picked us up, uh, I could tell, you know, you can tell Ethiopians, they have that look they have that real exotic kind of, I don't know if you know, but Ethiopians are uh, kind of a blend of Middle Eastern and African uh, bloodlines, and that's why they have that kind of distinctive look. And so I said to him, I said, are you Ethiopian? And he said, I'm Eritrean, which, as you guys know, Eritrea, you probably know, used to be part of Ethiopia. And actually, Josiah's tribe, the Tigray, straddled the border between Ethiopia and Eritrea, and the language that he spoke when we adopted him was Tigrinya, and that's the national language of Eritrea, whereas most Ethiopians speak Amharic, so he's really closer to Eritrean. So I told him about Josiah, and he's like, that is so amazing, but why would you do that? And I said to him, you know, uh, honestly, I believe it's a privilege being born in America. I do. If you've traveled any at all, you see that most of the world doesn't live like us. And uh, when I did uh, missionary work in Southeast Asia back in the 90s, I saw what it was like for the poor in a country without a welfare system, for the sick in a country without Medicaid, for um, orphans without a foster care system. It is life and death. And so for me, and I'm not saying this is what everybody should do. I will say this. what What people often say to me is, oh, I could never do that. I'm like, no, well, maybe you could. I'm not saying you should. But I think maybe more of us could. You know, someone, one time someone who honestly has more money than John and I will ever hope to have said, oh, I could never afford it. I'm thinking, one of your vehicles could be sold that would cover all the cost of, of the adoption. All I'm saying is, um, if not us, then who? If not American Christians who are some of the wealthiest, most resource rich people in the world, to reach out to some of these uh, people than who? And I'm not saying you have to adopt a special needs kid. I am saying um, when you give to our church, a a big portion of your money does go to help orphans. Um, But I don't know. Maybe there's something else you can do. There is um, uh, an organization here in San Diego called Voices for Children, have any of you ever heard of Voices for Children? And basically what they do is they advocate for kids in the foster care system. So if a kid is in foster care and unfortunately, like, are the dolls here today? No. Okay. The dolls rock. You guys know the dolls in our church. They take the hardest cases out of the San Diego foster care system. They take the most profoundly handicapped kids and take care of them. And that is an amazing calling. I mean, I, I like do this to them. Um, but uh, not everyone's like the Ronin dolls. And a lot of times people are fostering kids and they just want the check and that's just the hard truth. And so what Voices for Children does is they advocate. Every child is assigned what's called a CASA who advocates for them, who keeps up with them, makes sure their needs are getting met, make sure at Christmas time they're getting gifts. Can you imagine, it just breaks my heart sometimes to imagine my kids being in a situation like that where they have no one, they're living with strangers who barely take care of their needs. I mean, this is the reality of tons of people. Uh, Right now in the world, there are 140 million children who have lost at least one parent. And what that means in a country, say, like uh, Josiah's situation in Ethiopia, um, there's no parent to take care of the children. Someone's got to work, right? Then there's another. So essentially, uh, these kids are orphans anyway. But then Fifteen million have lost both parents. They truly have no one. I mean, this is like a humanitarian crisis. It is. And most of these countries, you guys, you would would just break your heart to see how they're not being taken care of. And so for me, uh, adopting the boys, going into global disease uh, surveillance and control that I'm doing now in Africa, that's kind of my way to... Do something, you know? And so all I'm saying is we all got to find our thing and do something. And I hope that as I go through all of these, you find your something. You find your, your target voiceless to, to try to help. Okay, the next one, the disabled. This is another huge one. Um, and when I talk about the disabled, they can be, there can be the developmentally disabled. There can be the physically disabled. And I remember uh, what I tell people sometimes with their kids is um, teach your kids to be not only to not stare. That's a given. And sometimes, you know what we realize? Like with Josiah. Josiah's so cool. Where's Josiah? He's so cool. He's over kids staring at his leg. He's over it. He knows that they do. You know, they can't help it. They've never seen someone with an amputated leg. It's kind of weird. And so it doesn't bother him that much. When adults do it, that's a little more troubling, and unfortunately, we do encounter that sometimes, and sometimes you just want to say, really? You know, can you? Really? <laughs> but what they really want, and I think Josiah can attest to this, is just just treat me like a normal person. Don't talk more loudly to me. <laughs> Not deaf. Don't talk slowly. Just, they just want to be included, and honestly, that's probably uh, with, with my kids. I would say that's the biggest thing. It's treating them like anybody else and being inclusive, just including them. I mean, my kids have got great friends. Sam is like, Sam is the man at school. Everybody knows him and everybody loves him. Josiah has a great group of friends, but that's not the case with everybody, especially with, with kids that might have a more challenging um, disability. Their personalities are a little more challenging to get along with. Lily was telling me a story the other day. It was so sad. There's a girl that I don't quite know what her developmental and mental disability is, but at PE she did something that caused the team to lose, and they got very angry with her, and she had a reaction because you can't—I mean, she just, she doesn't have the same coping skills that other people have. Had a complete meltdown, was running away, crying. The other girls start bursting out laughing at her, which I totally don't get. I totally don't get that. Um, but clearly, this is a conversation we need to be having with our kids. Number one, if, there's, if there are kids that think that that's okay, I would like to think parents must not have had a conversation with them, right? And that needs to happen. But you know what's also true? And I'm just going to be honest. A lot of times they're just repeating behavior they've seen at home. So we can get all upset. I have to tell you something funny. This was so funny. I read this this week on, uh, online. There's like a, the, the middle school, the Ramona community, blah, blah, blah. And there's a parent that's very upset about bullying and saying the school's not responding appropriately and blah, blah, blah. Well, it literally got 400 comments. And people are like, I would call the police. I would go up to those parents. I would do this. Just like most parents will get very fired up and upset. And then round about the 300 mark, this woman posts. I'm going to say this diplomatically. I am surprised at some of the very people on this, on this thread that are up in arms and outraged about bullying are the very people that bullied me when I was at Olive Pierce Middle School. <laughs> and so all I want to say is before you get upset and go up to the school and raise cane, maybe look at what you are, what are you doing at home? What are you saying about people? How are you treating people? You know, um, Lily, that girl? Oh, I know I haven't finished the story. Right. So Lily, <laughs> Lily ran after her. Um, and thank goodness. And I was so, that's, you know, there's not much that's going to make me prouder than a story like that. Then in a situation like that, she chased after the girl and tried to get her to calm down and tell her everything was going to be OK. And the, the girl's story was really sad. She goes, this is every day of my life. This is every day of my life. And uh, I, I don't want, I don't ever, that probably would be the most heartbreaking thing I could ever hear is to hear that one of my kids was involved in something like that, right? So let's talk to our kids, not only to tolerate it. And I've told you guys a story about being in high school and not saying anything when this poor girl was being teased in PE. And I ended up going back to her and apologizing years later. Um, I wish I had spoken up. I wish I could go back and speak up, but I didn't. And I'm hoping to raise a group of kids that will speak up that will be a voice for the voiceless. I will say, uh, one thing I'm very happy about is, I don't know if you guys realize, in both Vietnam and Ethiopia, when you have a disability, you're not allowed to go to school, you're not allowed to have a job. You're basically on the street begging. That is the best that you can hope for. So I'm really, really happy for these two um, boys that have the destiny of God in their lives and all they're going to be able to do just because they've been given an opportunity in a society that's got a lot more resources than where they came from. Um, Next, the poor. So many scriptures about the poor. Uh, You know, I I had a stark reality hit me. Bella and I were sitting on a, a, a bench in Seattle. We had walked... This is how much foodies that Bella and I are. We literally walked like 45 minutes from our Airbnb to this ice cream shop on the other side of Capitol Hill and had the most obscenely expensive ice cream cones you could ever have. But they were good and it was worth it. It was. But in contrast, we're sitting at this dog park and of course, if you know me, you know I'm enjoying the dogs. But I'm eating this atrociously expensive ice cream cone and there's a man laying on the ground in front of us. It is cold. He's got his head on a... Hoodie. uh, I don't know if you guys know, but Seattle has a tremendous homeless and mentally ill problem, not unlike many urban areas. But we were really struck by the number of uh, mentally ill, particularly out on the street. We were almost attacked. Uh, Our group was almost attacked. We were on a tour of Pike Place Market, and there was—it's just—it's really bad. But as we're sitting there, I'm thinking, uh, here's what I was thinking: It's a very complex issue, right? Um, There's mental illness. There's substance abuse. There's people with PTSD um there's people choosing not to be in shelters then there's like single parents the poor covers the spectrum and I don't have an economics degree and I don't know enough to know how to solve it uh what I do know is I ask the Lord to give me opportunity to help when I can the other day I was riding with Ava and uh this is the type of situation and she pointed out someone on the on the corner a boy. She said, "You see that boy right there?" I said, "Yes." Yeah. She goes, "He got teased all last year because he smelled so bad." And this is, you know, this is a middle school boy. And it made me remember what I read uh, in a in a publication last week that some schools and some districts now are buying washers and dryers because these kids. Here's the reality. There might be stuff going on with the parents. Yes, maybe they're irresponsible, maybe they're substance abusers, but the true innocence and voiceless in the situations are the kids who are powerless to change their circumstance. So you have a kid whose parents are not taking care of business, they're not doing his laundry, they're not going to maybe they don't have money for the laundromat. You can shower every day, but if your clothes are dirty, you're gonna stink and you're gonna go to school and you're gonna get teased. And so school districts all over are buying washers and dryers now. It's become like the new thing and letting kids bring their laundry to school and do it. And I can just hear people saying, "Why are my tax dollars buying washers and dryers for other people's kids?" I would say, "You know what? If that's the only way these kids are going to get their laundry washed, buy a washer and dryer." You know? It's a small thing that we can do. We have another situation in our life right now where we there's a kid who's at our house probably 50% of the days. It is a awful situation. Uh, one parent 's substance abuser uh, the mother, and doesn 't really want him. The father just got out of prison um, mo- there 's often not food in the house. The electricity got turned off for two weeks um, had literally had more foot showing at the bottom of his shoe than shoe and um, you know and, and these stories from my life, I hope you guys realize i 'm not sharing this with you to Pat myself or my family on the back i'm I, i'm hoping to introduce you to maybe ways to look for um, and identify people in our lives that maybe we can help are there things going on in this family that probably are really messed up and it's not going to get better anytime soon yes but is this child a voiceless victim in this situation yes so john took him to the sporting goods store bought him sneakers. He's allowed to be at our house whenever. He's allowed to come eat whenever. He couldn't believe it when I allowed him to have seconds because he says I'm never allowed to have seconds. Um, actually said, he's like, you guys have, two te- have You guys have three televisions? And Josiah, and, and Josiah said, yes. And he, says, he said, don't you have a TV? He goes, oh, no, we're not that rich. I mean, this is the reality of this kid's situation. Um, that's a small way. Again, I don't know how to fix the problem, but I feel like we feel like the Lord brought someone into our lives that we can be a stable force for. We bring him to church whenever he's able to come and just love on him. Show him the love of God. Advocate, be one of the only adults in his life that are concerned about him looking out for his needs. Oh, the scriptures. Let's read those scriptures. Proverbs nineteen seventeen: He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. And I always think about that. You can't. I mean, it's it's a cliche saying you can outgive God, but you can't. I mean, here's the reality: Is it is our grocery bill huge? Yes. You guys would probably faint if you saw our grocery bill. It's crazy. Do do we struggle to make sure that? you know, everybody has what they want all at the same time? Sure. Did we have just an extra amount of money to go buy a pair of men's sports shoes for him? Not necessarily. But here's what I know. I'm not taking, I'm not creating lack when I do something like that. You cannot do something like that and see it as you're creating lack in your life. He always will pay back what we have given. Let's look at the next one. Proverbs 22, 9, he who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. Generosity, that's who we want to be known as, as believers, right? Not stingy, but generous. Okay, next. Okay, I'm getting into a controversial one here. Everyone hold on to your seats. The alien. Let's look at the scripture here, Psalm 146, 5 through 9. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, and i oh, here we go, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps truth forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, the Lord gives freedom to the prisoners, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind, the Lord raises those who are bowed down, the Lord loves the righteous, the Lord watches over strangers, that's the alien, I think, there. It's a different translation here. Uh, in, in the New Living, it's the alien. Lord watches over the alien. He relieves the fatherless and widow, but the way of the wicked he turns upside down. Okay, so let me explain to you my, my uh, in a very abbreviated form, where I've come with this issue. It's very political. Uh, it's one of the ones that can cause the most arguments right now on social media. Um, I will say from the get-go, I I have no problem with having secure borders, whether it's Canada or it's our southern border. It makes no sense to me that we're even having a discussion about whether that's a a good idea. How we go about it is where there's more discussion, but I I think it's crazy for anyone to try to say that we shouldn't have secure borders. That's just my opinion. Having said that, um, I lived in a city, Escondido, that is heavily impacted by the undocumented immigrant population um and in numerous ways I could recount many but I will just say for instance uh when I sent just to give you for example uh in Josiah we couldn't um we ended up putting our kids in private school because when we went to put them in school uh there was pretty much no one speaking English on the playground of the school that was ours and the teacher they acknowledged it was a struggle to try to teach in the classroom because there was a language barrier with many of the kids and I thought you know, my oldest had tested as gifted. There was no, I just couldn't, it just would not work. So we went, we ended up going to private school. But Josiah needed, he had an IEP, he needed services. So we put him in a school, the one that they had us put him in up at Orange Glen Elementary in Escondido. And here's the truth of the matter I was the only uh, English speaking person in school. Back to school night, they had to translate into English for me um one day the teacher called me and said um your son I needed to let you know your your son is very sad at lunchtime and breakfast time and I said why they said because all the other kids get the the breakfast and the lunch and he brings a bag lunch and he wants to be like everybody else and I said to her we're not poor enough to qualify for the free breakfast and lunch and I can't afford to buy for him every day so I'm sorry he's gonna have to be sad that's just the way it is so so you know, that's just the reality. You know, we, everyone in that school was getting, we were the only ones not getting everything free. That's just the reality. That was a little hard to swallow. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm being honest. And look, my dad was Mexican, so I'm just, I'm just putting it out there. It was hard. And I think a lot of these politicians in Sacramento do not live in immigrant impacted communities. I think if you're going to legislate, maybe you need to go down and see what it's really like. One more thing, and then I'll move on to the better part of the story. Uh, Having a baby. One of the times when I was giving birth to Lily uh, at Kaiser, at Palomar in Escondido, they started me in a boardroom on a table, and the doctor came in and said, I am so angry and I am so sorry. He said, the rooms are mostly filled with people who are not paying, and it's not right, and I, I don't know what to do about it. He said, but I'm not sending you... He goes, you're not staying in here. And so they ended up putting me in a a wing that was under construction with no bathroom. Now, here's my point of saying this. Not to say the immigrants are bad. is to say if we want to continue saying that our social services can support all of this, well, they need to go to Escondido or they need to go to some of these other cities. That's all I'm saying. What would be wrong then is for me to look at these people who quite frankly are desperate people who if it were me, I'm going to be flat out honest. If I was down in a poverty-stricken area with kids to support and I couldn't, I may very well do the same thing. I have the benefit and the privilege of having been born in the right part of the world. So what I'm not going to do is hold hatred and resentment and judgment in my heart towards a group of people that are doing the best that they can. I will let the politicians work everything else out. And again, I've said what I, th- what I believe, we should have secure borders. And if they want to keep allowing people to come in, they need to figure out the infrastructure a whole lot better. And I don't know how they're going to do that. But for me as a Christian, to somehow I have read some of the nastiest stuff ever online. A girl I went to high school with posted something. Well, it was just ridiculous in the first place, saying that people were bringing in smallpox. And I just turned back and I said, they eradicated smallpox from the face of the earth back in the early 80s. So let me assure you that they are not bringing in smallpox. It basically called them, you know, filthy, nasty, these filthy, nasty people. And it's like, you don't, I I guarantee you, you don't know one of them. You've never talked to one. You've never asked them about the circumstances they came out of. So, I had a dream. I struggled with it, but I really worked on getting my heart right. Because it's hard. And this may mean nothing to you, but I'm just telling you the, the dream the Lord gave me. This was it. I was waking up right before I woke up, and here was the vision the Lord gave me while I was asleep. It was an American flag, and superposed over it was this phrase, the brown man. what that means is they are Americans too. They are here now. They're not going anywhere. We need to stop with this us versus them mentality. And here's the reality. This may not be a very popular thing I'm going to say, but there's another brown man, the Native Americans, who we came in and displaced and treated Horrendously. So all I want to say is, we as Christians, if our hearts aren't right on this issue, this is something we need to take to the Lord. He's not okay with it. He's not okay with us having judgment or prejudice or resentment toward these people. You can vote, you can contact your legislators about the policies that you think are healthy for our country, and I'm all for that, but having superiority or or treating them as second-class people I, i think jesus wouldn't be doing that he would be hanging out right in the middle of them uh the unborn i was in lake tahoe a couple of years ago well first of all let's look at the scripture psalm 139 13 through 15 for you formed my inward parts you covered me in my mother's womb I will praise you from fearfully and wonderfully made, marvelous of your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. So here's the deal. It's very controversial. You all have been alive long enough to know all the the, the different sides, pro-life, pro-choice, and all the arguments around it. If you believe this, you believe that life is at conception and that there's destiny and that we don't have a right to to end it and there's i'm sure there are people in the church here today that wouldn't disagree that would disagree with that but um what i will say is this and and how we go about it i was in lake tahoe a couple of years ago and there's like a a tourist area where there's lots of families and one of those guys was out there with literally billboards the size of as tall as the ceiling and down and probably as wide as from here to the light with the most horrifically graphic photos ever Okay, here's what I'll say about that. Was it the truth? Yes. Was it appropriate to have this there in a family area with lots of small children and parents are having to run by covering their children's faces, burying their faces in their shoulders? No. So I go up to the guy and try to initiate not a judgmental conversation, just to say to him, hey, I get where you're coming from. I understand your passion. I think that, you know, I understand that your intention is to really do something good, but I have to tell you, if I had my kids here today, I would not be happy. And I can imagine that you are probably making zero impact with what you think you're trying to do out here. This is probably not the way to go about it. And, of course, he accused me of being like a second-class Christian, and I don't have the courage that he has, and so on and so forth. Um, so I, I, that's just some, that's just, that wouldn't be me. That's not the way I would go about it. I will say this. I saw something recently that I thought was really cool. They took a group, it was just on the street. John, did you show me this video with the the, the tablets? I don't know who showed me this. Um, Where they took people off the street and asked them, what is your opinion? Are you pro-life or pro-choice? And if they said pro-choice, they just showed them a little video of just the truth. It wasn't graphic, wasn't gory. This is what it is. And over and over they were like, I mean, sincerely, this was not staged. They were like, I had no idea. I, just, I guess I kind of thought it was just a blob of tissue. I had no idea. So I am for truth. I am for allowing people to, you know, here's the reality. Abortion is legal in our country. It is. And people have a right legally to have an abortion. But I would like to see people have, make an informed choice. After pro choice, I think, spends a lot of time trying to dehumanize the baby to help the decision be easier. And look, I don't, there are a lot of hard situations that lead women to that place. And I understand that, I do. But uh, what I wanna see is just the truth. Um, and I would be interested to see if that project ends up getting any traction and uh, figuring out a way to get that, get that in front of people. Instead of these huge, gory billboards that honestly just completely turn people off, honestly. Um, And you may disagree with me on that, and and that's fine. But uh, that's kind of my perspective. Um, Next, animals. Okay, if you know me, you know I'd have to say this. (laughs) So here's the deal. So. Something happened to me. John has told you about this. I I loved animals before, but something happened whenever I was going through chemo, and our dog Oreo got lupus and went blind while I was going through chemo, and I literally, you can ask my family, I sobbed for three days uncontrollably. It just destroyed me because he cried and cried, and of course you can't tell a dog what's going on. He's completely blind. He went from completely normal to completely blind. And uh, I just became super aware of animals and animals in need and um, it's just a passion that I have now and now I work with I volunteer with my kids do as well Um, there's a really amazing animal rescue in Ramona that you may have seen if you ever traveled the 78 if you've seen the sign that says frosted faces and what these people do is they go into shelters and they take animals that people have pretty much just gotten discarded because they're old or because they have a medical issue they don't want to either they can't or they don't want to deal with And so they take these animals, they take them to the vet, they get them fixed up, and they make them adoptable, and they put grants on them to help pay for their medical needs. Um, Can we look at this scripture with this, the Proverbs 12.10? A righteous man regards the life of his animal, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. Take care of your animals. It's a righteous thing to do. Look, when I grew up, now this was not my mother's fault. I, I hate to say this, but this was my dad. There was no vet bills, period. If an animal got sick, well, I won't even tell you what the old-school redneck way of, you can imagine, you didn't do it. You did not spend money on animal. That's ridiculous. Now, can it get out of hand? Yes. I mean, I'm not talking about, like, some people spend $10,000 on chemo for a dog. I probably would not do that. But our little Oreo now, he's blind. He's on steroids for lupus. He also has dementia. So, laugh if you will, he's on Prozac. Because he's all disoriented. He's all disoriented. He doesn't know what's what, but he still loves us. He loves his life. He loves, our, he loves to go on walks with John. And as long as he has quality of life, I think um, he, is a fam- he is our family member, and we are going to take care of him. And I think it honors God when we do that. Now, on to different kind of animals, and this is going to dovetail into my next one. I want to talk about, this, uh, this is a con- another controversial topic, but this is what I will say about, uh, can we go to the next slide? I want to talk about endangered species for a moment, okay? How many of you in here believe that God created heaven, the earth, and all the creatures? And how many of you believe that there was a plan and that everyone had a purpose? And how many of you have taken enough life I mean, uh, environmental science courses where you realize that ecosystems are very delicate, and even the smallest organism is important, like maybe it's responsible for um, you know, uh, biodegradation or something like that, and it's a critical, even though they're tiny, it's a critical um, function in the ecosystem. Why would we think? that we can do things that cause the extinction of a species and it's not, it's not going to have an impact or it doesn't matter. Or that, well, God, when he created the fairy shrimp, the much maligned fairy shrimp, when God created the fairy shrimp, it wasn't that important. So if we want to do something that destroys it, it's not a big deal. I think we don't care. But there are, there are big consequences. Now... Have we seen cases where uh, maybe, you know, maybe there's been an overreaction to a a threat to a particular species, like a plant or an animal species? Yes. Um, But what I will say is this. If I, imagine this. Imagine if your earthly dad had left you a pristine piece of land out by Del Mar worth Millions and millions of dollars, a beautiful home and gardens, and there were animals, and da da da. And you found out that people were going there and mistreating it, and leaving trash everywhere, and feeding garbage to the animals, not tending to them, allowing them to die. I think most of us would be really upset and run up there and make them stop, right? So, my question is, why as Christians do we not care more about what's going on with the earth? That our heavenly father made and gave us as a stewardship it's something to think about Uh, genesis 1 in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth he's our father he created it psalm 24 1 the earth is the lord's and all its fullness the world and those who dwell therein okay um i will say that here locally one of the big impacts is are the beaches uh there's a you know the surf rider foundation does a lot with keeping beaches clean and the plastic issue with the oceans the plastic issue with the oceans is a real thing you guys i mean it's it's a, it's a massive problem it's a massive problem if you don't believe that you can google it and read about it the sewer that con- we're constantly dealing with with the beaches and that's an even bigger problem that again is beyond my ability to know how to fix it but um you know, I think it's important to teach our kids about this kind of stuff. How many people, maybe some people take their kids out to do to clean up beaches. I don't know a lot of people, but I think it would be a really cool thing to do. You know, I think it would be a really great thing to do, to teach them. We have to, we can't treat the earth like it's here for our pleasure only. We have to take care of it. Next. I got radio silence on that. <laughs> okay yeah i do (laughs) okay i have to say i want to say one more thing about that something that i just saw last week i'm gonna give you another example i'm sorry i'm gonna give you another example things we don't think about i'm at work i work at the nhrc the naval health um help the naval health research center in point loma right and we're up on a bluff overlooking the ocean most of us up there are health scientists so honestly there are not a lot of smokers up there but you do have the technical building and there's a group of smokers that work in the technical side and they have their little smoke break outside. and we live in a country where you can smoke if you want to that's fine and they do it in their designated area well i'm out there and it's raining and i, I watch some of them just flick their butts down on the asphalt and it's raining Now, let me play this out for you. I don't know if you guys know this, but if you take a cigarette butt and put it in a bucket of water for a couple of days, you end up with poison. And 50%, I I won't get into all because I don't know them by heart, but 50% of the ocean life that are exposed to that will die. So when you multiply that one cigarette butt times billions, and what do most people do with cigarette butts? Throw it down. We're at NHRC. It's all asphalt. What does that mean? Nothing is seeping into the ground. It's all running off where? Into the ocean. Just that one little cigarette butt of his multiplied times billions, and you've got a huge problem. But see, we don't think about that kind of stuff. You know, if you're not oceanographers like these guys back here, we don't think about the very real huge impacts. Okay, so I'll get off that. (laughs) But I have decided next time I see them do that, I'm going to very kindly go up and give them the same little tutorial I gave you. Okay, next. Well, no, I mean, really. Is it that hard for them to dispose of it appropriately? Okay, I got it. my husband's telling me to hurry up. Okay, the outcast. Different societies, the outcast means different things. Honestly, it's just whoever is different than the prevailing group that's there. Maybe it's someone of a different religion. Maybe it's someone of a different ethnicity. I don't know. I, I'm going to give you an example from our life. One of my kids has a friend at school who has gender dysphoria. This is a real, even though it's politically incorrect to call, I think at this point with the human psychological association, blah, 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 we're still allowed to call it gender dysphoria right now until they tell us we're not allowed to call it that anymore because they don't want you to call it a mental illness. But it's where someone really feels like they're a different gender than the one they were born in. So at this stage of the game, this child that's a friends with my child and has been for years just suddenly shows up this year dressed like a boy. Now, she still uses the same name. She still says she's the gender that she actually is. And she claims that there's nothing else going on. But you can imagine... the uh, and, and honestly, she's not the only child in the district that has this issue. You can imagine the uproar, especially in a town like Ramona. Right? It's an uproar, at least initially. But you know what? She's going to be her friend. Just going to love her. The child is... Look, I don't wish that on my worst enemy. These parents are walking through, and I know the parents, and I know it was not an easy decision to allow her to do this, and it wouldn't be something that they wanted. What I do know is we're not going to make life unbearable for this child by ostracizing and whispering and not including and not inviting. We're going to love her. And we're going to love that family, and we're going to pray for them. We are called to be a friend to the friendless. There's a whole lot of kids in school that are friendless. And one thing I tell my kids all the time, they'll tell me a story about, what, what do I do when, when I, you guys tell me a story? <laughs> I go, oh, that breaks my heart, and then I suggest ways that they can include them or be with them or love on them. Okay. <laughs> my last two points that are similar, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move quickly. The persecuted. Christians are the most persecuted religion in the world. Okay, what I'm saying to you right now came from the New York Times and the BBC. This did not come from, some, from Fox News or some random website you've never heard of. This came from BBC and New York Times. Christians are the most persecuted religion in the world. Eighty percent of all persons persecuted due to their religion worldwide are Christian. It is reaching near genocide levels. I appreciate my friend Mark Myers. He likes to keep people aware of stuff like this, the recent genocide of Christians in in Nigeria it's happening in North Korea China um, the Middle East Um, and you can actually one of these pieces in the New York Times they were talking about why we don't hear about it it's because I'm just going to say it it's because of our media's hate relationship with conservatives and uh, they have this perception it's almost like they don't want to they don't want to sympathize or empathize and so they're less likely to report it. They're more likely to report other religious groups that are persecuted than Christians. And um, uh, in our country, Christianity is kind of synony- syn- synonymous in some groups at, with privilege. So somehow, well, if that's happening to them, you know, well, whatever. But this is, let's see, what did I read? Every, every day, this is crazy, 345 people a day lose their lives for their faith. 345 people a day. And we show up at church, maybe we do, maybe we don't. Maybe we want to come, maybe we don't. Our kids are like, uh, I, don't, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do that. It's like people are losing their lives all over the world every day. I don't ever take for granted our right to be up here, for me to be up here in front of God and everybody talking about all this stuff with no fear. And our kids need to be made aware. Don't take this for granted. This is a precious, valuable thing that we cannot take for granted. And we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters around the world that are literally being martyred every single day. Uh, Open Doors is a website. And uh, also Stephanie is a great, our mission director here, Stephanie Dominguez, is a great resource uh, with The Persecuted Church. Uh, There are ways, there are like ways that they get in to try to support the persecuted church with Bibles and all sorts of things. I encourage you to go to Open Doors USA because you can't obviously just show up in Saudi Arabia and say, hey, who wants to pray? Uh, You have to be kind of covert about it. And Open Doors has uh, ways to be able to do that. But man, I, I can think of very little more valuable than our Christian children knowing. Don't take this for granted. This is a seriously precious, valuable thing. Okay, and lastly, the unreached. Some mission statistics here. How Christian giving is used worldwide, all the Christian churches worldwide. Pastoral ministries of local churches, mainly in Christian nations. That's where 96.8% of all the money in churches go. $677 $677 billion. Next. Home missions then. This is in addition, home missions in Christian nations. Another 2.9% or $20.3 billion. The unevangelized non-Christian world, which is different than the truly unreached. This would be areas where you have maybe a very nominal nominal amount of Christian presence, but the majority are not reached. That's 0.3%. And then finally... Truly unreached peoples, uh, 0.1%, 450 million. So Jesus was pretty simple in the things that he said to us. The Great Commission and the Great Commandment. And I don't know how we're doing as the church looking at this. So what I think is important to us, I had coffee with somebody one time and they were looking for a church. So they were moving, they were looking for a church. He goes, how do you think I should go about it? I said, honestly, if it were me, here's what I would do. I would ask them, how are you doing with, what do you do for the great commandment and what do you do for the great commission? For me. That's what would be important to me. Um, And I think it's important uh, for us to make our children aware that there are parts of the world where they've never even heard the name of Jesus. Okay, so I have gone over, so I'm going to close this out in prayer right now. And here's what I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit uh increases us gives us awareness um look we may not encounter the voiceless in our everyday lives we may have to go out of our way to encounter the voiceless and i would say that we we we, we should A, as christians we, we should be doing this if we find that our daily routine doesn't put us in contact you know i love how gary down here disciples uh Uh, what is he? He's an elderly Iranian man. He takes time out to go. There's nothing. Gary's not getting anything from this. I I don't even remember how you came in contact. with. How did you come in contact with this guy? Okay, when the church went door to door. He's not a member of our church, but he is elderly, he's blind, and he's unreached, and Gary takes time out of his own schedule to go spend time with him, do things for him, bring him places, pray with him. So, It might take getting outside of ourselves. It might take proactively teaching our kids and like doing things with them. Doing, taking them to a nursing home. One of my kids has asked that we bring them to a nursing home. They want to be able to do that. Taking your child for a beach cleanup. uh, Volunteering at a, a shelter. I don't know. But find a way to become a voice for the voiceless. Let's pray. God, on Mother's Day today, we... Thank you so much uh, for the children that you've entrusted to us. We thank you. We take it as a stewardship that they are yours, not ours, God. And we pray that you would give us the wisdom and the resources to raise, raise them well. And God, I pray that you would help us to know how to develop compassion and understanding and empathy and love towards everyone, especially people who are different from us especially people who are different from us, God. Help us to know how to do that, God. Teach us how to draw people to you, God, to make our faith attractive to people by the way that we love others. And for those of us here today who are not parents, I pray just for all of us as Christians, for those of us that are parents for ourselves, not just for our kids, God, that you would put on our hearts how you want us to become a voice for the voiceless. Which of these areas, or surely there's ones that I haven't even mentioned, um, that you would have us speak out for, uh, fight for justice for, uh, love to be you to them, God. I pray that all of us would walk away with a renewed inspiration, God, to show your love to those that have no voice. In Jesus' name. Amen.
0: That was one of the best...